Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Modern Learners Podcast. If you're listening today, it's because you understand we have a real need for change in our schools and that we owe it to our learners to think differently about what school is and what it could be. If you're someone who is in a position of educational leadership where you aspire to be and you want to surround yourself with others doing the difficult but vital work of igniting school change, we invite you to join us in Modern Learners' newest community, Change Leaders. I'm Lynn Hilt, the Community Manager of CLC, and our space can help ensure you're using your professional learning time to the fullest. CLC offers carefully curated content to help you find signal among the noise, thought-provoking questions and discussions with inspiring community members who are serious about change, live events and access to the Modern Learners team, and a circle of critical friends who will help you kick off change efforts in your schools. Visit changeleaders.community and click subscribe to request your invitation to CLC. After doing so, we'll be in touch about how you can join in our movement, and we are so confident that you will find incredible value in making CLC your preferred learning destination that we offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. We look forward to continued learning with you. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Modern Learners Podcast, where this week, and I know many of you have been waiting for another one of these episodes with me and my good friend Bruce Dixon. Well, here it is, and we are starting this episode, believe it or not, you've never, I don't think anyone would have guessed this, I don't think even we would have guessed this as we were doing this podcast, but we start our conversation with Justin Bieber, believe it or not, and Justin is kind of jumping off point for one of our typically wide-ranging discussions, not just about learning, but about, in this case, assessment and politics and a whole bunch of other stuff. So strap in for a pretty interesting conversation. If you're a first-time listener, we want to welcome you, and we hope you enjoy what you hear. And if you're back for more punishment here on our 41st episode of our podcast, we can't thank you enough for taking the time. Don't forget to head over to iTunes, give us a rating, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tweet us out. If uh, if you like what you hear, please spread the modern learner's goodness. We will be forever grateful. Just a couple of really quick updates before we get to our conversation. We're into the last few days of April, and that means that in just a couple of weeks, registration for Change Hole 5 will be opening up. And if you're at all interested in the work that we're doing with leaders to create sustainable and relevant change in schools around real reimagination, then head on over to change.school where you can get all the info. And there's a little box at the top of the page where you can sign up to be notified when registration opens. We are getting really stoked to have about 100 new members join us in our fifth cohort for that really intense eight-week sprint, and then enjoying lifetime membership in our community for those conversations to continue. And it would be awesome if you were one of those people that join us. So check us out and let us know if you have any questions at all. But for now, as always, just sit back and relax. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation as Bruce and I dive in once again as to what learning is and how we can make it more relevant for our kids. Thanks for listening. Well, Bruce, did I tell you yesterday I, was, I drove by the house of Justin Bieber? Oh, hell, there. hang on. Did you take photos? Did was, you do a it selfie? It was an exciting moment. It did was you a selfie, you know, like, you know. My, my heart rate went up a little bit, I have to say. It was, a, it was an interesting moment that I had there. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about it, but I was thinking about it. In the context of everything that we talk about, right? And, was, uh, and the whole idea that this is a kid who, when he was 14 years old, decided to make a video of himself in his living room, post it to YouTube, 
And a year later, he's being signed by these major labels. And the rest is kind of history, right? And yeah. it was, it's just, you know, it's just an interesting story. Whether you like Justin Bieber or not doesn't really matter, you know. And he was the he was the poster child for what you know what was Absolutely. coming really, and in many ways foretold an extraordinary explosion of uh, the impact that just even YouTube, forget about social, but YouTube's had. And I know there is a follow up story because, as you know, uh, George Kuros shared a photo he took of Justin doing a concert in uh, Sydney which I've used in some workshops and that I was good with that photo for about 18 months. And then Justin wasn't quite the nice little boy that he always should have been. So we had to caution ourselves. But the interesting follow-up of course, was that sort of iterated because I think about two and a half, three years later, a young woman did exactly the same thing. And he spotted her on YouTube and promoted her work and she got 250,000 likes or whatever it was. And, so it was interesting. So, yeah, you're right. It's interesting. To, jeepers, we, well, either we're getting old or social's getting old because we're starting to become reflective. Well, you'll be shocked. I mean, I was on the shores of Lake Huron yesterday with some group of leaders who actually some of them knew Justin because that they were in the he was in the board that these principals, vice principals were from. And you'll be shocked to know that Justin wasn't the straight arrow that you might think he would have been. <laughs> he was one of those kids who was just always pushing at the edge and, you know, just he was a little full of himself, apparently. But Really? No. But yeah, really. But, <laughs> I find that staggering. But the system just does, wasn't working for him, you know, and, and so it was it was just interesting to kind of hear that, but to also contextualize the conversation in that moment that you know yeah. he really was like you said the poster child for what was possible all of a sudden and it, it kind of blew a lot of people's minds i remember when i first started presenting that you know i was using that as an example you know a decade ago but anyway interesting stuff so how so are just, you so justin beaver is a is an interesting example i suppose of you know what was going to be coming down the tube as we say and i guess <laughs> we reflect back on the good the bad and the ugly of all that both in his case personally but also on what the influences it's had in other places i mean it does also bring up the whole conversation around the potential of kids yeah and not just what they're able to do on their own but now how technology really amplifies that potential and the question around whether or not we're creating conditions in schools where kids can reach those potentials and maybe even go beyond what they think they can do with our help, right? That's always been the, that kind of interesting tension. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of, a lot of people in education push back against that because it's a different role, obviously, for the, for the teacher and the adult in the classroom. But what if it was just teachers were creating opportunities for kids to, you know, be what they, everything they possibly could be? like Justin Bieber and just, you know, amplifying that and supporting them in that instead of in many cases, making them just kind of sit and be bored with tedium of the curriculum. You know, did you have any of that discussion with the leaders, school leaders you were talking with up in Canada? Well, it was another one of those days where I'll, I'll tell you what the woman at the end of the day, because in Canada, they always are so good about having someone come up and sum up the day. Right. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> hopefully yeah. in English. In English, yeah. And the woman who came up at the end of the presentation at the end of the workshop. Oh, by the way, I have to tell you, too, this was the first workshop that I've ever done 
where there was a happy hour in the middle of it, oh, <laughs> which, was really, which was really interesting. That's so nice. everybody had a, had a couple drinks before the last hour and a half. That would have anyway, been a good hour and a half. <laughs> and I think a lot of them were pining for the happy hour to be a much earlier in the day. <laughs> but but she came, with happy hour. Yeah, might as well. But she came up and she said something along the lines of, you know, the one thing that she was taking away from the day was, if you're not doing what you believe, stop doing it. <laughs> and, you know, and I think, Cool. You know, that's a that's a great takeaway. I'm happy with that. And yeah. we had some pretty powerful conversations, again, along the lines of, are you doing what you believe? And, you know, if you're not doing that, then why? And uh, so, yeah, it was an, a really good day. And I just, we probably talked about this on some of the podcasts before, but I just walk away from a lot of those conversations going, you know, this is just common sense. I mean, it's it's not really rocket science. And it's stunning on a lot of levels that we just deflect common sense so easily. We just don't go there because it, it common sense and the way that we think about schooling and learning, <laughs> they just don't mix very well. You know, it's like oil yeah. and water. And yeah. it's difficult sometimes to see, see the other side of it. But when people, when people just think about it a little bit, they look at it and they go, yeah, you know, we really aren't doing a lot of things that are, are good for kids and, and that really lead to learning in the way that we understand what learning really is. Well, it's interesting to raise that because you shared with me earlier a, a link to a discussion that's going on right now in May. Yeah. And, and it raises, I think, a number, of, a number of areas for us to have a chat about because it's a link to a discussion and we'll, we'll post it in the notes to this podcast about Maine's move to proficiency-based assessment. And the article, I think, highlights a number of things that I think we have to be wary of as much as I think the idea of proficiency, or by the way, it's often called competency-based assessment. In, in Western Australia, they did a similar thing about eight or 10 years ago. And I would say had a very similar reaction. But in summary, maybe you'd like to just sort of set up the, the article and the point that it was making. Well, let me let me give one caveat, and that is that we kind of decided to talk about this about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so I have no idea really where this conversation is going to go. It's going to be pretty interesting just to, as it evolves, but, but maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, I was struck by this particular article because of the arguments that were being made against competency-based. And let's just say from the beginning, I don't think either one of us are necessarily huge supporters mm -hmm. of competency-based. I think there are some things that are worthwhile in the way that we think about that. I'm not a big fan. I don't think you are either of grades in their current state. So I, I do think that something alternative to giving kids grades in the way that we've done, you know, the past hundred years or so is, is a good thing to think about. But competency-based and proficiency-based when you get down into the nitty-gritty as this columnist correctly points out, is being co-opted to be pretty much just sit down in front of a computer, go through your playlist, show that you understand what's in the playlist, and then move on to the next thing. And it does, in that way, really change the role of the teacher. And it probably does shift a lot of emphasis to kids who are struggling in terms of where teachers' attention and, and that kind of thing go. You know, I'm not sure that competency-based, well, certainly I'm, I am sure that competency-based in that scenario, at least, is not 
what we seek, right? But what's interesting, just really fast, is is the language that we use or that some people use to push back against this. And yeah. I think that this is a fairly common response that people have. And I think it shows how deeply rooted the narrative is and the tradition is in terms of what schools have to be. So just uh, I'll throw out a couple of these and then I'll let you chime in on these. But mm-hmm. one of the reasons that there's pushback this, this author says is not only has grading become difficult for parents and students to understand, but assessing grades has become an extraordinarily difficult task for teachers, which I would say has pretty much always been the case anyway. But um, you know now they're moving to a one through four system. And so I can see that. But the, the one, I guess, that, that really got to me at the very end is um, the conclusion that says it's time for Maine to scrap this experiment for a more traditional model that is workable for Maine families and rewards high achievers. Lovely. And that last part is where you just kind of sit up and go, okay, so that's what this is about. It's really more of a fear that the kids who are high achievers and the kids who are doing well are going to be hurt by this particular system. And there's some concerns in here about getting into college. Doesn't really speak too much to kids who maybe aren't in that story, you know, and doesn't really talk a lot about learning in terms of what it really is and how it really happens. So what do you, I don't know how you respond to that. You know, I don't know how, go ahead. I really like the article. I like the article as a discussion point, more for the nature of change and how we address it more so than the actual topic. And I agree with you. We both said, I mean, competency proficiency based assessments have their challenges a number of levels in Western Australia, just for reference, people listening, it wasn't hung on to for very long and was displaced for a couple of reasons. One was exactly what this writer was going towards, which is it was only about attaining minimum standards and it lowered the bar of learning with a two chance that came out of it. Two, my memory was it lasted in Western Australia for about 18 months, which, you know, by any standard is not really giving it much of a run. Now, a lot of people would say you've got to, you know, remove these things if they're not working as soon as you can. But why is it that when we have a reasonably substantial educational concept like this, do we look at the core idea rather than how it's being implemented? You know, inevitably what we've done in education, I don't know how many times in the last 40 years, to my knowledge, is when something like this comes up, we attack the concept or the idea rather than how it's being implemented. And if from, as you said, our very superficial review of what's happening up there, even though, as you know, I've worked in Maine quite a bit and was had a lot to do with the original program around one-to-one, right. um, that doesn't qualify me to know what's happening in this case. But even though, you know, there seems to be a, a reasonably robust case being made in this article, when you look at it more closely, you know, you're challenged firstly by an obvious lack of communication. It's patently obvious that there hasn't been enough investment in communicating to parents, to policymakers, and most importantly to students, the intent of what they're trying to do and setting up realistic expectations. So, for instance, you know, why would people all of a sudden be shocked by the fact it's on a four-point scale? I mean, presumably they knew that well in advance, and if they had challenge, if they had issues around it, they could have raised at that time. Secondly, it is going to be students who are going to push back probably as much as anyone. And because these students have been encultured in the traditional system for, and if they're doing it towards the you know middle schools and high schools, you know, they've been doing this for six to eight years and are very familiar with the traditional system. So, you know, communication can take a long time. It could be something that takes two to three years before 
something like this is implemented and the way it's implemented, you know, obviously is very important in that is it being gradually implemented? Is it being implemented across all grades at one time? So there are many there are many lessons that I think we learn from these sorts of discussions. And at the top of the list is communication. You know, we, we just released our, uh, our white paper, The War on Learning. You know, one of our key strategies that we put in place to try and uh, address the, um, the challenges of high-stakes assessment was improving communication. We said communication beats compliance every time. And yet it's the one area I think that we do the poorest. And when we talk about communicating, it isn't just parents and students, it's also teachers. I mean, I would presume there's a fair amount of pushback from teachers because above all, they've been, they've been used to a traditional system for some of them for 20 or 30 years, but also the wider community. And my final point about it is that, you know, yet again, we have a policy analyst or journalist making this commentary and forcefully saying we shouldn't have this system. Now, I don't know, there is something about journalism that gives them the right to have a free kick on pretty much any issue, whether they're, uh, you know, well-informed or not. I presume I would take a a guess that this policy analyst is a very clever person probably a high-achieving person. Probably he would have been one of those high-achieving people who might have felt he was being cheated by a four-point scale. And underneath it all, as you said, you know, where was the fundamental discussion around learning that should have occurred? Right. This is where the whole assessment right. piece has to start. It's number one in our strategies, you know. Right. So there are many areas within the ideas expressed in the article, I think, that are really worthy of reflection. Well, everyone's an expert on education. Yep. You know that because they've all been educated. Yep. They've all done school. So parents or journalists or politicians or whomever else, they have the cachet to comment because they've they've done it. But I totally agree with what you just said there at the end. It's the wrong conversation. It's not any of these types of changes, whether it's competency based, personalization, you know, flipped. We talk about this all the time. None of those things really make any sense unless you've defined what learning is. And I would bet that if I asked the author of that article to define learning, he would struggle. And even if he could define it, it would be different from probably most of the other people who he talks to about this particular yeah. thing, this particular initiative. And, you know, there was another one. I don't think I, sh- I didn't share this link with you, but there was another article that I found on the same topic. And this one was quoting some parents and their concerns about it. And just a couple of the quotes that I thought was really interesting. One said, it just doesn't make sense to repeal a grading system, a learning system, teaching system that has existed. Sure, it may be imperfect, but figure out what's not working and work on that. They chose to pull it and replace it without a trial. Well, you know, the grading system and the learning system and the teaching system are not the same thing. And I don't think you can talk. I mean, we see them as the same. Thing, could, you, think, could you explain to me learning system? I'm interested in learning. Well, system. yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's the assumption that as kids go through class, they learn. It's just the curriculum. It's just, you know, and, and all of that put together, I guess, leads to learning, as, however that's defined. And I think, again, that's where the, the dissonance is with this, is that you don't really know what people mean when they say that. She says, you know, she's hearing comments from the parents of other high achieving students that the system is dumbing down learning to shore up the performance of students who need extra help while leaving other students to work to fend for themselves. And, you know, she says it's causing motivation to drop, especially among the highest achievers. Well, 
you know, again, that may be so, but again, it doesn't go to the common sense understanding that we have about learning and how learners are motivated. You know, there was a great podcast, by the way, and we'll put the link to the, I'll put a link to this too in the, in the show notes here, but there was a great podcast that was shared from a kid in North Dakota. He was just talking about how, you know, yeah, kids work for the grade, but three months after they get the grade, all that stuff that was in their heads is pretty much gone. Yeah. And the stuff that really matters is the stuff that he, he was describing it as the things that you lose a sense of time. You know, the, the, yeah, things, in like, the, the things that, that you get into a flow state around, the things that keep you up at three o'clock in the morning mm. because you're thinking about them and you want to solve the problem or you want to create something. That's learning. This isn't learning. We're not talking about learning. We're talking about education. We're talking about just, you know, giving grades as a snapshot in time. And then just, you know, the one other piece of this, and this is the last line from this other article, but she said, before proficiency-based learning was implemented, Garcia said her daughter would learn from other students, even be competitive with them. And there you go, right? And I just think that we're so convoluted in the way that we talk about this stuff that I don't know how we extract ourselves from this unless we have a big, hairy, you know, larger conversation, as you suggested, around learning. And then we communicate. We do a better job of school districts of communicating yeah. and engaging people in yeah. that conversation over a period of time before we start to do or implement or, you know, change things so people oh. at least understand what's coming out of well, that's obviously the reason why, you know, in Change School, we talk and we reference people like Peel from Canada and other places yeah. mm-hmm. where we say that the journey for them has taken five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first three to five years, you know, they were, all they were talking about was learning. And I'm really saddened by a lot of the comments in the article because they heart, we've seen them repeated over the last 30 years that people have a concept. And again, we've both said, you know, whether or not it's competency or proficiency-based assessment, but they're trying to overlay it and fit it into a very traditional view of what school should be and what learning is. And that's always going to be fraught with conflict. And you, you're never going to work, you're never going to establish yourself a new direction, you're never, going to, you're never going to build a new environment for kids that responds to the modern context they're growing up in when you're trying to do that. You, you've got to rethink it from the bottom up from your beliefs around learning. And in this case, I mean, as again, we said, just by reading this article, you highlighted the point about the challenges for kids going to colleges. I would have said from the article that a big chunk of the criticisms coming from particularly parents and students is exactly that, that they've lost their, their sort of a, their mark or their, um, their measure of their high performance to get into out-of-state colleges and universities. Well, number one, Surely, going back before this was even thought about, one, that issue had been addressed, and two, that had been discussed and communicated with those parents and students because, I mean, it's a reasonable concern. You know, we can't sit here and just say, oh, who cares about what kids want when they leave, you know, when they go into an out-of-state college or university? Of course they're going to. So you have to be prepared for that and you have to have the conversation. Now, there is... Along that line, if you follow that particular concern down the path, you and I would both say a lot of movement towards changing um, the entry criteria for people going into universities and colleges out of Maine. We're not saying that's the answer, 
but it's certainly one of a number of considerations that needs to be um, discussed and communicated with parents and students. What I said at the outset, you know, was the problem the fact that it was movement to competency-based assessment, proficiency-based assessment, or was the problem that the issues weren't discussed and alternatives considered for people who are looking for these sorts of opportunities out of state? And I think it's really sad when we start getting then an overlap of people's concerns and the directions they want to take, and all of a sudden it starts to compound, and the compounding of it and the complexity of the argument in the end will kill an idea like this straight off because all of a sudden there'll be a lot of arrows being thrown in the back of proficiency-based assessment in Maine and people, this is too hard, this is way too hard, we'll just pull out of it because there's too much pushback because where are the advocates for it? The advocates for it, obviously, were the original people where where this was driven from. I would presume from a, a select group of educators and probably academics who had the best of intentions. And just because there are some flaws in the implementation, that's nothing new. There's flaws in the implementation of, of every new initiative or concept within not just schools, in the corporate sector as well. And the corporate sector doesn't come along and say, oh, all of a sudden, oh, that's not going too well. We're going to throw the whole thing out. They review, they iterate, they reflect, and they continue with the necessary changes to what they're trying to do. So I think it is a real pity that we see this repeated so often in education. I don't think that people understand the depths of fear that change in schools, well, anywhere, but especially change in schools elicit. I mean, and I I do think that when things are confusing, when things are not articulated well, when the why is not clear, then it's easy to make corporate profits, the boogeyman here. It's easy just to say, well, this is just a corporate initiative. People just want to make money on this. And look, you and I will be the first to throw corporate under the bus when, you know, it is partly when it is moving in that direction. And I think there's probably an argument to be made that this again is something that's being co-opted at some level by people who want to make money off of it. I mean, there's no, there's no question about that, but you know, I think the fear part of this on the part of parents, on the part of teachers on the part of policymakers. I mean, I just think everyone's really freaking scared to do things differently. And yet you look at Justin Bieber, (laughs) you know, you look at these kids, they're not scared. They're going out. And I'm not saying, well, I am saying, I think every kid potentially is a Justin Bieber type kid, right? I think that every kid, if they found a passion, if they found an interest and they were allowed to pursue it, I think they could do amazing things. And so there's a, for a lot of kids, I think that we breed fear in them, fear that if they don't get the right grade, they're not going to get into the right college. And if they don't get in the right college, they're not going to get in you know, the career that they need. They're not going to be successful in terms of all that kind of stuff. You know? And we've talked about this before, too, how that process now is starting in pre-K when people are looking for, you know, for schools, for their, for kids, who, their kids who aren't even born yet. Many of them haven't even been conceived yet. Yeah. And they're looking for a yeah. school to put their kids yeah. into. So it's becoming really neurotic on a lot of different levels, but it's driven by fear. Yeah. So the question really becomes, how can you temper or assuage the fear that people have around change? And part of it is creating a sense of urgency that, you know, really, it's not going to work the way that it's been working, that it needs to, there there are, I think, really valid reasons why things need to change now, and you have to make that compelling case. But again, the other part of it is being very intentional and very deliberate about bringing people along in this process and being willing, like Peel, 
to spend not just five to seven years to come up with a vision and a kind of a flag in the, in the sand that says, this is who we are and this is where we're going, but then having the mindset of, and this is going to take another seven to 10 years to implement, yeah. right? You know, I bet you when all is said and done, if Peel is able to continue forward in that change, they're going to look back and it took them 15 years. Mm. But the thing is, at least they had that foresight at the beginning. They knew that this was going to be a long process. And they, they really built in a whole bunch of uh, just very foundational structures around it, around that whole change process that allowed it to move forward and allowed it to sustain. Yeah. And a part of that is, is that communication piece. There's no question about it. So, I mean, look, I, you know, there are a lot of places in the states that are moving toward competency proficiency based there are obviously we've talked about mastery.org um, and those schools that want to move to a more yep. competency based type of assessment system i don't think college is an issue around this at all colleges will figure out ways you know and and i think that most of the reasons why people say no are really not barriers at all uh, yeah. they're just reasons they're just reasons to to kind of stoke our fear or to make us feel better about all that, right? We yeah. bring that up, up because we just are scared of it at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the first place that I came across that was doing this work was actually Alaska. And there was a district up in Alaska. There was a book put out. I looked, I tried to find yeah. it. I've got the got it up on the shelves here somewhere. They, but that's not a green screen? I thought that was just a yeah, green screen. Yeah, well, it is. I just listened oh, to Okay, sorry. But anyway, um, yeah. And, um, and they, won, <laughs> they won a Baldridge Award, which has got something. Yep. We, we won a Baldridge Award when, in my old school, Baldridge too. Baldridge Awards. That's right. I remember that. Malcolm, yep. Matter. And so they certainly went a long way down the track, and I think there was a fair bit of notoriety associated with what they were doing in Alaska, almost equivalent to the notoriety from Sarah Palin. And it sort of was interesting watching the journey they were on. Now, in fairness to what they were doing, I think they, they did spend a lot of time on communication. Still nothing to the extent that we're talking about. Because the problem we have when we're doing something like this, and, and proficiency you know, it's just one example, is we're on the inside looking out. And inevitably, you know, if you've got a group of academics, educators working together who are developing a system like this, no matter how hard they try, they make a lot of assumptions about where people are at and how much understanding they'll have of the background to what they're trying to do. And so even when they might say, well, we produced some material, we, you know, we, we did some leaflets, we had a couple of parent nights, you know, all those sorts of things, it takes more than that takes a lot more than that. And I think that's what we, we do too often is we're on the inside looking out saying, this makes common, this is common sense to us. There's a lot of logic in it. And we've got to be really sensitive to the fact that this isn't something people are familiar with. The example I always give, and I know I've probably used it before in the podcast, you know, was the implementation of laptops in schools and technology and the response from parents, you know, to the use of keyboards as opposed to handwriting. And, you know, my reaction always was that it is very normal and one should, we always should expect that parents are going to be very concerned about the use of keyboards and the, and the impact that would have, their perception of the impact that would have on handwriting and whether or not that was even valid. Yet, you know, so many people just jumped in without thinking about it. And, and the worst example in technology I can think of is a couple of schools and one very notable school in Philadelphia that when they introduced technology, decided they would immediately go to a paperless school. Well, as an idea, parents were absolutely horrified. They had no idea what paperless school meant, but the idea of a paperless school horrified them. 
So the idea of throwing out the traditional measure of whether a child is making any you know, progress in school and replacing a, some sort of number out of 100 with the number out of four is a radical and reasonable, reasonable. concern that parents might have. And you've got to just spend the time talking with the whole community about your rationale and what you're trying to achieve. Well, I think full circle, you know, this comes back to, again, what we say all the time and what we've already said earlier in this podcast, even, and that is, look, if you're not on the same page about what you mean by learning, I mean, don't even bother, <laughs> right? So, I mean, and, and you know, you know that those people who are pumping competency-based education or competency-based learning, if you took 20 of them, put them in a room and asked them what they meant by learning, you'd get 20 different answers That's right. because there's no coherence around it. And they don't even see that as a conversation to have because they just assume that everyone understands that it means, you know, that you can show a particular competence or whatever, right? That success as, as it's defined, even though we all know whether it's competency-based, proficiency-based, whatever-based learning. If kids don't want to learn it, if it doesn't have purpose or meaning in their lives, it doesn't matter how many programs you create that pace you through the calculus curriculum. Once they've shown that they can do it, they're probably going to forget it and they will most likely never use it again. And I'm not picking just on calculus. You can enter, you know, your topic or your subject area here. So, you know, on some level, all these conversations are kind of moot until you have that discussion first. And, uh, if anybody's made it to the end of this podcast and still listening and you're in a school district, that's where to start. You got to start there and build from that moment, no doubt. So yeah. kind of an exciting week for uh, modern learners here, Bruce. You know, Missy and I are going to Washington, D.C., and we're going to be presenting to the Federal Department of Education. Is Donald going to be there or no? Tuesday. No. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if Betsy's going to be there. That might be an interesting that, uh, introduction. That would, be, that would be very interesting. Maybe we can pull her out for happy hour and <laughs> have a little <laughs> conversation. <laughs> about I, I, I'll tell you what morning. you can do for our, uh, our devoted <laughs> listeners to this podcast. You could do a little podcast with her. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be fun. And you know yeah. what the first question is going to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? What is it? What do you mean by learning. That's exactly right. <laughs> Define learning, please. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. That'll be a very short podcast. But anyway. Well, good luck in that adventure down to uh, the big house and hope it all goes well. And look forward to talking to you next time, mate. Cheers. Great chatting as always. Cheers, mate.